0: Hi, I'm Rachel Sala.
1: And I'm Laura Mache.
2: And I'm Jim Stormdancer, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug?
0: Hi, my name is Rachel Sala. I am a longtime independent game developer from Los Angeles, and I'd like to plug Glitch City, the co-working space I help manage in LA that's also full of other similar indie developers.
2: Assuming Glitch City starts existing again at some point,
0: I mean, we just literally got off a call with everybody at Clitch City because Uh we're like, let's let's hang out and eat a meal, like go around and talk about how our lives have been. It's good. I recommend it.
2: Yeah, that does sound nice. It's a co-working space. So really, you should be doing that every day. Well, we have a discord. There you go. I mean, does it it have voice chat? Does it have people uh, bantering in there?
0: We have a couple of different operational rooms right now. We have the quiet room where people can just hang out in and mute themselves. And it's legitimately comforting, though, I will say, to be in a muted room with other people because, you know, like, if things were better, you'd be in this room right now physically with these people and like, maybe you'd like go to the kitchen for like a snack and they'd be there and be like, hey, how have you been? How's your weekend been? Have you seen the newest blockbuster movie yet? And you'd be like, why well, have it? Did you? Did you enjoy it? But you can't right now, but we can pretend. And there's also other rooms people can hang out and they're all like, hey, I'm taking a break and I can go for a chat. You, know, you can sometimes see that and then just like pop in. We have them labeled. There's uh, there's the kitchen, which is the chat room. There's the tables, which is the quiet zone. There's uh, the bathroom for poop. And there's the couch for napping.
1: So I got to say, every time I'm in there, everybody is muted and deafened in every channel.
2: Because <laughs> they're trying to concentrate. Yeah. But, but you've convinced me that like having a quiet room is a good idea. Also, I'm very happy that there's a bathroom on your discord. Hopefully, all the conversation takes place in there. (laughs) Laura, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh,
1: My name is Laura Mache. I work during the daytime at Riot, but I do indie game development on the side. I don't work at Glitch, but I orbit around it and was also in the call that Rachel was just in. And... Yesterday, the game that I worked on most recently, Industries of Titan, launched into Early Access on the Epic Game Store. I did the writing for the stuff that's in Early Access on, on that game. I wrote the characters and a bunch of other stuff that hasn't been put into the game yet. And I am very stoked to see people enjoying it.
2: Very cool. Yeah, there's, there's no like time frame on that, right? Because like, this show is probably going to come out in like six weeks.
1: It's still going to be there no matter when in every day that you're listening to this.
2: Yeah, you could listen to it as many times as you want. Industries of Titan will still be there. Yeah. It had to be explained to me that that was a pun on Titan of Industry.
1: But also, it takes place on Titan,
2: the moon of Saturn. Yeah, which which is good. That's a good pun even though I don't like I'm kind of pun blind. But now that I know that, I have to work really hard not to say titans of industry every time. Oh, no. So, that's my life.
1: Yeah, I learned about that pun a long time ago, but I just sort of like did not ever think about it while working on the project. So, I keep forgetting that that's part of the name. I keep forgetting it's a pun. People keep telling me, oh, I just figured out the title and I go, what? And then I have to be reminded.
2: (laughs) That's good. I want to be where you are. I want to forget and have to be reminded every time. You guys ready to start on some topics?
0: I love topics. I'm about to say the exact same thing. I'm so glad we're in agreement.
2: Uh, Laura, would you... um, Wait, I I was going to ask if you want to plug anything again. Um, Laura, your topic here is all clothes hangers should be made of wood rather than wire or plastic. It's
1: true. They should be. Rachel knows all about this because we used to be roommates, but I don't have any plastic coat hangers. I only have wooden coat hangers because... I grew up on the East Coast where it gets cold. Uh, I, I grew up in New England and you have like heavy clothes, right? Like you have heavy wool sweaters, heavy coats. And if you hang them on plastic coat hangers, the plastic coat hangers warp and break. So I became infuriated by this when I was in college and I began eliminating all my plastic coat hangers and giving them away and only getting wooden coat hangers. Not only are wooden coat hangers not made out of plastic, which is not great for the planet, but also they look nicer. They can hold uh, heavier clothing because they're more rigid and they've they've now become a a thing of admiration for me. I love to look at my wooden coat hangers and, and think about the level of luxury I've achieved.
2: That's very luxurious. My question is, where do coat hangers come from? Because I don't think I've ever actually bought any and yet somehow I have a bunch. They've ended up in my life.
1: Yeah. If you've ever associated with a person who uses dry cleaning, they might acquire coat hangers, right?
2: Oh, maybe that's it.
1: When I was growing up, uh, my family had a lot of wire coat hangers from dry cleaners because my mom uh, had to wear clothes that she would get dry cleaned a lot. And uh, they just bought plastic coat hangers, I guess. I have had to go purchase a lot of coat hangers in this quest to replace all the coat hangers I emigrated from my parents' household with, Right. You can just buy them like a Target or whatever.
2: Right. And the other thing that comes to mind is that there are some articles of clothing like if you're put, putting like a wide collared shirt on there or like anything that doesn't naturally kind of fit snugly over the hanger, it's going to slip off unless it's, it has that like grippy surface on top. Yeah. Or it has those little hooks that you hook. I don't know what you call the parts of the clothing that would fit on a hook, but... You hook those things onto the hooks and then it won't fall off. Like how is wood for the grip?
1: Wood is superior to plastic for the grip. I wear a lot of uh, collared shirts, but I, I button them so that they'll sit on the hanger better. I used to have problems with things slipping off when I had plastic coat hangers, but I no longer have this problem.
0: I also agree with this sentiment because what like the metal wire ones are usually like real thin, they'll like warp and distort your shirts. Plastic's terrible for your environment and wood is a nice renewable resource and it looks fancy. It does look so fancy. It, it makes me feel fancy. I have not replaced all of my hangers yet personally, but I'd say about half of them are wood. And I'm always just like, oh, yes, it's me, the guy. I'm putting on my wool peacoat from the wool the, the wood coat hanger. And it's to like, <laughs> hi, it's me, the guy who picked a dirty shirt off the ground that I'm wearing it.
1: Yeah, also a lot of the – talking about peacoats reminded me. A lot of the clothing you tend to acquire as you get older, like particularly if you're in a position to – gather more resources in your life you know like i've tended to acquire heavier and heavier clothing as i get older right like i would buy myself or i would i would acquire from family members like a heavy coat that keeps me warm you know or i would acquire uh, a, a larger number of cl- clothes that i now like all stack on the same hanger right and back when i had plastic coat hangers they, they could not withstand that i feel like a npc in a in a simulation game acquiring additional resources and needing storage bins to put them in except the bin is a heavier duty coat
2: hanger. Yeah. The thing that I did in my 20s, which I feel like is pretty reasonable if you don't ever have to – if you don't really give a shit what you're wearing is I would just have like few enough pairs of pants that I could just put them on a chair and then I would just have a bunch of t-shirts that I would all all drape over the back of the chair (laughs) <laughs> and then whichever t-shirt was on top was the one I would wear that day. And I don't remember what I did with my socks and underwear. Maybe I had a basket. I'm just, I'm, I'm totally guessing here. It could be a basket.
0: It's very utilitarian. I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> it's uh, it's practical. Are you guys ready for another topic?
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, Rachel, your topic here is how do you feel about food mascots shaped like the food you're about to eat?
0: Yeah, so this always bugs me where I see us a lot driving around in LA because there's a lot of, like, small, not-chained restaurants where there'll be a thing where it's, like, oh, it's a barbecue restaurant and there's, like, definitely, like, a happy pig there. And you're, like, really? Like, is this pig happy about this barbecue restaurant? Really? Or it's, yeah. like, you think about, like, I don't know. I was a, I grew up in the 90s, as a, many of us did, I'm sure, and there was, like, McDonald's commercials was like talking hamburgers and chicken nuggets it's like really these are speaking creatures with like they're sentient they're self-aware and they're like do they desire to be eaten
2: i think i think that's the concept yeah that like it would be completely immoral and unacceptable if they didn't want to be eaten
1: i think this is a symptom of our, our alienation from the food production process, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's somebody can seriously draw a happy pig on a poster if they don't have to think about like how the food is made, right? Or if they don't have to like kill a pig themselves. But we're, we're in this weird zone where our pigs are, are killed in an alternate dimension by machines or whatever, essentially, right? Like outside our ken. And uh, we, can, we can then slap a pig on a poster and, and think, ah, I have represented the food I'm eating.
2: Yeah, and the pig one bothers me a lot more than, like, uh, a talking chicken nugget, which is just a hilarious cartoon. Or, like, how they put a mouse as the mascot of Chuck E. Cheese.
0: Did you know that Chuck E. Cheese's middle name is Entertainment?
2: Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's his name.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's
0: so good. Yeah, like, in terms of, the like, the pig, though, for example, I grew up in Los Angeles, but, like, in the more southern part of Los Angeles than the northern part where I currently live. And there's a barbecue place near us that was called Sticky or something like that. But the tagline was the sweetest meat you'll ever eat. And their mascot was 100% like a pig that was like cheerful or like giving us like a thumbs up with its hooves. And the implications of that? A little disturbing. And I always hated it. I never ate there. I'm like, this is a little gross. Not to lie. Is the,
2: is the sweet meat a, like a slang term for a body part? Is that like the liver or something?
1: Uh, sweet meats are are like confectionaries. They're like candy. Oh,
2: okay. So this was like from back when meat just meant food in general.
1: Yeah. Like candied fruit, candied nuts, bonbons, sticks of candy. These are sweet meats.
0: Oh, huh? Right. I was just thinking that one scene in uh, was it Hannibal where the cop figures out that Hannibal's killer? Cause he found that recipe for sweet meats and it was like circled. And he's like, it means a person. Point being is I kind of vague memories of him figuring out that Hannibal was, you know, a murderer and ate people because he circled that part of a recipe on like some random book.
2: Yeah, I think I remember that scene. Okay. What I'm thinking of is sweet bread, Mm -hmm. which is the thymus gland or the pancreas of an animal. Hmm. And so the the I was I was imagining when you, the, the the slogan was the sweetest meat you'll ever eat. I was imagining a a talking thymus gland. <laughs>
0: That's horrible. But to be honest, I'd be kind of into that the same way because it's like okay, it is kind of grotesque. They clearly know it's grotesque because nice. you know thymus glands don't talk. They're just in you someplace. I got to be honest, I don't actually know where the thymus gland is in uh,
2: Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't say either.
0: I know where the pancreas is, but not the thymus.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Are you guys ready for another topic?
0: Yes. Let us go to another. Put me in coach. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so um, my topic is I could put any liquid in my CPAP humidifier. I have a CPAP machine that I use while I sleep. And there's just a tank that you you pour distilled water into. And as far as I can tell, the entire mechanism here is that There is a metal plate at the bottom of the tank that gets heated up and vaporizes the water and then I breathe slightly wetter air than I normally would because like the CPAP just tends to dry out your mouth. And I was just thinking like I could put like potato soup in there and save myself the time of eating breakfast.
1: See, you got to be careful with this shit because the reason you're putting in the distilled water is because you know it's clean. Right. Recently, uh, my partner and I uh, Brendan, we poisoned ourselves with mold in the humidifier by accident. This was back at the beginning of the year. We used the humidifier one night and then we woke up the next day and started feeling iller and iller throughout the day. Like my skin hurt anytime it touched anything and my muscles burned and I just felt like I was going to die. Yeah. And we thought that maybe we had the flu or something and we were like, okay, if we still feel bad in the morning, we'll go into urgent care because we feel like we are we are perishing of a communicable disease. And it turns out that we had just like had mold in the humidifier and had accidentally blasted ourselves with mold all night because the next morning, we felt fine, right? Like it, it had dissipated and when we realized what had happened, we felt a little dumb.
2: Do, do the two of you share a CPAP? Because that would be adorable.
1: No, it was just a regular ass humidifier. Okay. Basically, what you're doing is you're ensuring that whatever gets humidified in your machine is going directly into your body.
2: Yes. Give it to me.
1: If you put warm soup there and you sleep all night with this soup getting, you know, pumped into your body, it's not it's not being kept at a sanitary temperature the whole time, you know. So, if there's any bacteria lurking in that soup, it's going in your body.
2: Yeah. And, and the directions were very specific about how you have to clean this thing every day. But I feel like I could just like put some bleach in the soup and then it would kill any bacteria.
1: Then the soup would taste bad.
2: Yeah, but I'm not tasting it. It's just going right into the lungs.
1: Well, through, through your mouth, over your tongue,
2: right? Oh, that's an excellent point. You're right.
0: I saw recently that someone did a, a light study that said you can help kill COVID if you have it by inhaling alcohol fumes.
2: I believe that. I believe that study.
0: Yeah, so just add some sake to it. You'll be fine. There's already like no bacteria in there because the ABV is too high. And you could just, like, help help cure your diseases or prevent it or whatever. You know, it's very it's very healthy. Just wake up a little drunk probably, but that's fine. We're not going anywhere. It's, it's okay.
2: <laughs> I saw a similar, um, like, a recommendation going around attributed to a doctor, but probably not actually a doctor, saying that the way you prevent COVID is drink water all the time because if it gets into your mouth, then if you take a sip of water, it'll go into your stomach and get digested instead of infecting you.
0: I've seen that too, and it just seems a little dubious to me because it's like.
2: Yeah, no, I'm 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 reasonably certain that it is bullshit.
0: Like you, you tend to breathe through your nose, right? It's too late. Then it's already it's already in the lungs. It's just just how it happens. <laughs> you should probably
1: just be drinking a lot of water anyway, though.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've been drinking a lot of water since I've been been home so much. It feels pretty good. It's like wow, so healthy. Look at me. It's by. Fourth pint of the day, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know about your water glasses. Lots of glasses. I have a huge glass stein that
1: I drink the water
0: out of. Is it the Dartmouth
1: one? Yes, I have my. I have two of them, and I I guzzle huge quantities of water from them.
2: That's classy. It's
1: very healthy. You gotta. You gotta make sure that you're in a position to drink a lot of water, because unless you, unless you take actions to ensure that huge amounts of water enter your body, it just won't. You'll just forget. So my strategy is I use this massive glass.
0: In general, my strategy is um, whenever I'm frustrated or annoyed about what I'm working on, I'll stop and drink some water. And then as soon as the glass is empty, I have to get up and fill it.
2: Right. Yeah. Even if you're not thirsty right then.
0: Yeah. You know, it just gives you something to do. It isn't just like scowling at my screen or staring off into space going, gee whiz. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean and that's uh that's a good way to get a, a built-in like rest break for your, if you're worried about RSI.
0: I mean I already have like a semi-permanent wrist injury that is unrelated to computers,
2: so what wait, is it, is it an RSI? What what repetitionist thing were you doing?
0: Oh, uh so in college I was climbing a tree and I got about eight feet off the ground and I slipped and fell. And in the process I like retched my right wrist real bad, which is bad because I'm right-handed. And it never really healed right. And you know, I just kinda like dealt with it for about a month or so. And I went to a doctor and they're like, yeah, you tore some ligaments. Like the, the big two bones in your wrist, those separated. Their spots supposed Yikes. to be separated. They're supposed to be touching, and they're not. So yeah, I mean it more or less healed. It's more or less okay, but there's certain actions that really hurt. Like for example, I can't really do a push-up. It's not because I'm super weak. It's because bending my wrist all the way back and then putting pressure on it hurts.
2: Right, you could do a knuckle push-up.
0: It still kind of hurts, because it's like the back of the hand that hurts, not the palm.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Just that whole action, just no good. But also, yeah, like, too much computer use, clicky video games, not so great. Yeah. Wrist injuries, bad. Take care of your hands.
2: (laughs) You guys ready for another topic? Yeah. This is a write-in. Mallow asks... Sliding doors. Are people in favor, opposed, terrified of them? I feel like in the U.S. we've converged on a kind of door that just isn't that great.
1: Uh, we've converged on a type of sliding door that isn't that great or that sliding doors are a type of door which isn't that great.
2: I think they mean the, the, the kind of sliding door we've converged on isn't that great. Like I think they mean the big glass ones.
1: Are there different kinds of sliding doors?
2: Well, there's the kind of sliding door that like takes the place of a like a bedroom door where the, there's just a big gap in the wall and the the door slides over into the gap.
0: I have never really grown up with sliding glass doors, though I have seen many hilarious videos on YouTube of children and pets running into glass doors that are closed. I feel kind of bad cuz someone probably got like a little hurt,
2: but I feel like every sliding door I've been around growing up had some sort of like colorful sticker on it and found out that that sticker was there because someone had previously run into the door and like either broken their nose or crashed through or both.
1: When I was a kid, I had one of those lateral thinking puzzles books. And one of the puzzles was a butterfly sits on a pane of glass. When the butterfly moves, a man dies. What happened? And the answer (laughs) to this puzzle was that the butterfly was a decal on a glass window warning people not to run into the glass window and that when the decal fell off, somebody ran through a glass window (laughs) on like the top floor of a skyscraper and they fell off and died. And I was supposed to know that just from like lateral thinking and context.
2: This is the worst Encyclopedia Brown ever.
1: Oh, absolutely. But it also made me terrified of running through glass panes, right? Like I'm I'm reading this like puzzle solution in the back of the book and I'm like, it never occurred to me that I could run through a window in a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I was already afraid of heights, so that made it worse. Oh, no. I myself did run into a pane of glass at a, at a movie theater in Berkeley once and I hurt my nose really bad. And I was going to see Hodorowsky's Dune. So I had to sit in the theater watching Hodorowsky's Dune with a cold can of Coke pressed against my face. Um,
2: It sounds like the ideal way to watch it.
1: Yeah, it was memorable that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that movie also rules so. It's one of my favorite movies so it didn't hurt my experience. I believe you showed it to me actually and I was just like, hell yeah."
2: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like sliding doors so they almost always have like rollers at the bottom some sort of mechanism so that you're not just sliding the door against the ground and like the house we live in is kind of worn down and the sliding glass door that goes into the backyard like the wheels all broke and so like you're really just grinding this huge piece of heavy glass well there's metal at the bottom but like it's got the weight of the glass pressing it into the ground you're kind of to open and close it you're kind of grinding that against the the door frame and it's harder to repair than just if like well first of all I don't think I've ever seen a hinge break like a regular door hinge but If one did, like, I could see it and it's, like, at arm height and I can unscrew it and fix it. But I don't know how I would, like, I I guess you just, you remove the door and then you figure out, like, what aisle in Home Depot you can get the replacement rollers in. I guess what I'm getting at is that I think one downside of these kinds of doors is that they break more and are harder to repair.
0: I've definitely seen hinge doors break and it's usually, like, a production Usually what it is, is that the, uh, you know how they have, like, nails sunk into the, the wood frame? They will rip out. And it's just kind of like, the frame's busted. So it's more of an, orde- it's been a ordeal to replace them. It could be, like, a little bit of structural damage. I think, regardless, if you have a non-functional door, it's a tremendous pain to replace one way or another,
2: so. I guess one advantage of the big sliding glass doors is that if you can't open them, there's still windows.
1: That's true. I like big windows and they provide that. It's nice having lots of natural light. Yeah, I've never lived in a place with a lot of natural light. So I I always fantasize about having a a big window.
2: Your mom had a job that required to do a bunch of dry cleaning and you didn't have a place with a lot of natural light. That doesn't seem to go together.
1: I mean, like as an independent adult.
2: Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, who has? Yeah.
1: When I was a child, whether or not I had natural light was due to no action of my own. But so far (laughs) in life, I haven't yet. Right. I was reading recently a Twitter thread about a city in the desert. It's this city that's been built up so that people live in these very closely connected buildings. And uh they got natural light into their homes with large mirrors on the walls and I keep thinking I should do that. I should...
2: Oh, that's clever.
1: I should cleverly place mirrors which shoot light into my large building that I live in, this uh, this apartment building. But there's nowhere to put it, really. I could hold a mirror and point the sun at my face, but that wouldn't be
2: quite the same. Point a, point a flashlight at your face.
0: Do you all have a yeah. balcony or anything? Yeah, it, the light hits it very late in the day. Okay.
2: You guys ready for another topic? Yes. Uh, Rachel, your topic is if there was one silly skill you could acquire with no effort, like being good at karaoke, what would it be?
0: Sometimes I'm just idly sitting around and being like, gee whiz, I wish I could do X, but it's like, I don't want to spend the time to do X to learn how to do it. It would not improve my life anyway. Like, if I suddenly got good at karaoke, my life would not change, other than if I did karaoke instead of singing annoying songs, which annoy people, let me tell you, I can really sing. Some Lincoln Park real well <laughs> without prompting. I could just sing it, basically whatever.
2: But do you do you sing both parts? Yes. Nice.
0: <laughs> no problems there. So I got sing some Lincoln Park, no problem. You say probably list a song of the first few albums, I can do it. It's not good. And it's I'm screechy and tone-deaf and have no real melody of which to speak. But if I could suddenly be like, oh, I'm just gonna like casually sing some like, I don't know. Donna Summers or something, just like whip it out and be great. If you feel like, wow, I don't know, you could sing. I'm like, I can't actually, I can only do karaoke. That'd be neat. I'd be okay with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, there's a whole bunch of skills that I can think of that I would like to have. But I, I feel like I'm, if I say I want to, you know, know how to play the piano, that feels like a little bit outside of what you're talking about. It feels a little bit a little bit too serious. So maybe maybe I'll say I wish I could play the ukulele.
0: There you go. That'd be pretty sweet. You could just like, I remember one of the first videos I saw on YouTube when it first came out all those years ago. I was still in high school, but there was um, Smells Like Teen Spirit on ukuleles. You could do that. You could be like that guy. You could just be like, I'm going to do covers.
2: Okay. My, my silly skill that I get for free is going to be only being able to play Smells Like Teen Spirit on ukulele.
0: <laughs> That's a pretty good skill. Good at parties
2: once, then everybody hates you.
0: (laughs) We could learn other songs. We could be like,
2: yeah, but then I would have to learn it for real. Who's who's got that kind of time?
0: Like I said, this is a silly skill. You know, it's like being good at karaoke. That probably involves knowing a few dozen songs at least. You can know a few dozen songs ukulele. It only seems fair.
2: Okay, all right.
0: So you can feel you know like like thirty songs on ukulele.
2: I'll take it.
1: My silly skill is also going to be musical, but I feel like it's. Been said already, so I'm trying to think of another. I already learned a lot of instruments when I was a kid, but none of them were portable, like the timpani and the xylophone and shit. I don't own those, so I can't play them anymore. Mm-hmm. I wish I could play an instrument that I could like own that didn't cost like two thousand dollars and weigh like three hundred pounds. I have a xylophone back at my parents' house, and getting it across the country to me has been like a years long epic saga that is not concluded my dad was going to mail it to us and then we were going to go pick it up and take it across the country ourselves and now that the coronavirus is occurring it's trapped for for an even longer time in Connecticut
2: as a xylophone player how do you feel about children's xylophones the kind that are made of metal
1: they're good they're basically like they're they're like glockenspiels they're legit
2: yeah i was trying to get you to go on a rant about how they're not really xylophones but okay
1: I don't know. Music should be accessible to children, and
2: oh, I agree. <laughs>
1: those
0: things are very accessible. You can you can learn some basic shit. In college, I had took a I had to take a class that was like the physics of music, and we had to do like all these math equations to figure out what certain tones were or whatever. But our final was we had to make musical instrument out of garbage. So I went dumpster diving and like found the materials to make a terrible xylophone. I had to spend. Uh, I think I spent four dollars on it. I had to buy glue, but yeah, I made a xylophone out of bits and stuff I found in um, dumpsters, and I played uh, "Ode to Joy" in front of the whole class on it. It rolled, <laughs> it owned.
2: <laughs> Very good. Yeah. What were the What were the 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 resonators made of? Like the things that actually like you struck and the, and rang out?
0: Uh pieces of pipes.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah.
0: Mostly PVC. Yeah, I found some different legs and was like, oh, this is good enough. I can do that. And I sawed it. At, we had like a metal shop and I sawed them
1: down there. When I was a kid, I really wanted to see Blue Man Group. And then we finally did get to see Blue Man Group, but it was so loud that it made my sister anxious and we had to leave.
2: That's a bummer. That's a, You should have gotten a pair of earplugs for your sister.
1: They don't really market themselves to like concert attendees, you know, like the whole, it's, it's like a gimmick show, right? Because it's playing music made out of garbage. We were not going to this show with a deep knowledge of what to expect from a rock show, right? I mean, that's, it, it was the Blue Man Group's like rock show uh, where they tried to play rock music. We, my, my family was more like my parents took us to see like the Nutcracker or even like classical music so that they were not prepared for the volume, I think.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I feel like we can solve this portable xylophone problem. Like what about like a hand pan
1: what is a handpan?
2: Probably a, another name for it. Let me see if I can Uh it's apparently that's a family of instruments. Uh but it's the the kind with like um it's like a do- a metal dome that has flat surfaces hammered into it. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: People play it on the side of the road. Yeah. As buskers. Yes. I I don't know this instrument. I need to look it up. They're beautiful. They are. It's like a Inverted steel
2: drum. It is like that, yeah.
0: And I wish I could play the handpan. Oh yes, I see it. Yes, I've seen people like at Venice Beach play it. Wow, learn something new every day. We are truly exploring topics.
2: So I just googled portable xylophone, and there is an image search result of a guy holding a xylophone that's as big as he is. Technically portable.
1: The biggest uh, mallets instrument I ever played was a gigantic marimba that had been built inside the room that it was in and it could not be removed.
2: Nice. It's just built into the room. It's like a like a supercomputer.
1: Exactly. A supercomputer of, of sound. <laughs> I took xylophone lessons at the University of Hartford when I was a kid. My teacher was a, I guess, like a grad student. He was pretty young, but I didn't know it at the time. And... He used to take me around and show me all these weird xylophones that were in that part of the building.
2: Oh, man. I want to go on a weird xylophone tour.
1: That sounds pretty dope. Yeah. A little envious. I didn't learn that much from him. I learned how to play with four mallets, two in each hand, but I didn't learn any. I wasn't a big practicer. I was not that great at it. I think I could impress people with what I can play if you don't know about the xylophone, but if you're like a percussionist, I was not impressive.
2: I've been there. not Not with musical instruments in general, but just like, I feel like all of my skill sets are like good enough to impress people who don't, don't know anything about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I once went uh, to play like at a school and it for like kids much younger than me. And um, I started playing this exercise I used to do where I would play up on one scale and then down on the next scale, like a half step up. So, I'd play like up on C and then like down on on like C sharp right, and then up on D and I would go like that all the way up the scale. Uh, So I would play at least one scale of of like every scale on the xylophone, right? And these kids were standing there watching me do this like losing their minds unaware that it was like a completely rote and mindless exercise. (laughs) I had like memorized it with muscle memory, you know, I I hadn't like learned it because I was a theory master or anything. And I still had trouble playing in like some of these scales. Like I could, I, not too much trouble, but I like was not super great at it. And these kids were like, oh my God, you can play every note on the xylophone. It's like, well, it's not hard. They're all just sitting here in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they're hidden or something. If I could instantly be good at the accordion, I think that's the instrument I would pick. That would be oh, yeah. dope as hell.
2: Oh yeah, that's a good one
1: got to be something you can play with your hands rather than like blowing into a pipe so that you can like have a jolly conversation in a tavern you know while you play
2: or perhaps sing
1: yeah so it's got to be a hand-based instrument but i can't say ukulele which is what i was going to say because it's too popular right
2: (laughs) right yeah
0: what about like the concertina and and any of that shit
2: is that like the hexagonal Accordion?
0: I think so. I always think of it as like the pirate accordion. When you think of like sure. people on a pirate ship, that's what one of them is playing. You can
2: sing sea shanties.
0: You're both correct.
1: It is hexagonal and it is the pirate ship accordion.
0: I <laughs> love <laughs> their combined knowledge. We can have correctly identify an instrument. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's our superpower.
0: The only reason I know what it is is that some friends of mine in college had a band and one of them played the concertina. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, it was a pretty sick band. I'd say, like, their overall theme was um, circus jazz, which was pretty dope. Bands called Platypus Egg, shout out to them, hope everyone's doing
2: well. Yeah, I've heard a bit of Platypus Egg, they're good.
0: Yeah. I met you, Jim, through my college roommate, and we all, like, knew each other and hung out and
2: stuff. That's how Frog Fractions happened.
0: It's true, all those years ago.
1: I've been thinking recently about how it's finally been, like, over 10 years since I started being, like, consciously interested in indie games. 10 years. Jesus.
0: I was not interested in indie games, to be honest. I think Frog Fractions made me interested in indie games, because before that I basically only played, like, Braid, I think. I didn't know anything. And now I'm like, what's uh, this game, Call of Duty? What's that? Do you call people on the phone? Is it supposed to be like an awkward date sim? Actually, I totally play that. That sounds great.
2: Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys ready for another topic? Yeah. Laura, your topic is people in different eras interpreting subtleties in media differently. For example, people not getting Shakespeare's jokes, interpreting the ending of The Wicker Man differently, etc.
1: I watched The Wicker Man recently, like the original one. Okay, yeah. Yeah. We've been watching a lot of a lot of movies here in quarantine zone.
2: Spoiler warning for the Wicker Man, we're probably going to talk about the ending.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. If you don't already know what happens at the end of the Wicker Man, you are culturally out of touch and I'm doing you a favor by spoiling it for you. (laughs) At the end of the Wicker Man, this guy who represents sort of like society and the cops, he gets put into a large Wicker Man and the Wicker Man gets set on fire by this cult that's like sacrificing him the whole movie they've been tricking him into thinking they're going to sacrifice this young girl, but really they were planning to sacrifice him because he represents like their enemy. And uh, this cult is like all these peasants who have adapted, like, like they changed from like regular Scottish peasants into like a society of pagan Scottish peasants who just fucking love earth gods and shit. And uh, they're, they're standing around the wicker man, swaying from side to side, singing this incredibly like peppy peasant song while this guy is locked in this wicker man, while flames approach him, and he's just sobbing and crying and, like, insulting them and praying. And it's this incredibly extended scene of, like, peasants laughing at this guy while he screams Christian prayers at them and eventually catches on fire. And the whole time, he he goes through this, like, emotional arc of, like, defiance to, like, despair and sort of, like, all this shit goes on. And to me, elements of this scene were, like, incredibly funny, right? Like, I, I knew that it was serious stuff and I, I knew what the story was about and I could see, like, the themes in it, you know, but it was also just, like, very funny because the peasants are singing this really happy, peppy song and swaying, like, like junior kindergartners who are, like, performing a song together and this guy's just sobbing and sobbing and losing his mind. And I kept thinking when this movie came out, people were probably, like, less comfortable with thinking that like a guy who represents society and Christianity getting burned is hilarious, you know, but these days it, it's, you know, it's it's almost a, a, a happy affectation to be like, I hate this shit. Let's burn it. I'm a witch. You know, like, like that kind of stuff is like so common, not only among like some of my friends who take it seriously, but also among like just rando teens on Twitter, you know?
2: Yeah. Everybody owns a guillotine now is just waiting to use it.
1: Everybody owns a guillotine. Everybody is a witch. Everybody would gladly worship Alan Moore's snake god in his pagan, you know, cave under his home with him. And the end of The Wicker Man is funny now. But I I don't really know how funny it would have been when it came out.
2: Yeah. I mean, do you know if we are supposed to sympathize with the the man or?
1: I think we're supposed to kind of pity him, you know, because throughout the movie, he is a dick. Like like the movie portrays him as like a dick who is sort of almost co- colonially like imposing his views about religion and sexuality on this society, which is working. You know, the society is like mostly working fine. It's not working any worse than like regular society. The society also like tricks him in a pretty masterful way. They lead him to believe that they are a lot more horrible than they actually are. Uh-huh. You know, like he, he, they lead him to believe that they're sacrificing these young these young girls, but they're like, they're they're either not frequently or not always sacrificing young girls or something like that. And in fact, they want to sacrifice him because he's an outsider. They don't want to kill one of their own. So I think the the movie does want you to look at this guy and be like, he's absolutely a, a jerko, right? But he's being he's being treated in a in a pretty in a, in a very human way at the end of the story, right? Because of the cultural zeitgeist that I live in. Watching pagans burn a Christian man in a Wicker Man is very funny.
2: How, so, do you think I, I feel like there's a similar reaction to the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, even at even at the time of release? And I'm wondering how much of that was deliberate.
1: I actually haven't seen the Nicolas Cage one. I wish I wish I had now, but um, I do plan on seeing it someday. I have listened to a podcast making fun of it, so I know all of the plot beats. I haven't seen it.
0: I'm actually curious, how would you compare and contrast the 70s Wicker Man with Midsommar? There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, because surface level, it has a lot of uh, similarities, but it, I haven't seen Wicker Man since like, early college, so I don't remember it all that well, versus Midsommar, which was like, a year ago. But surface level, a lot of similar themes. Midsommar, I think, has a lot more subtle shit going
1: on, though. Because at the end of, of Midsommar, it becomes clear that like the cult is, in fact universally very bad. And the only reason that she grows to to feel at home in the cult is because they're the only ones who offer her any human sympathy at all, which is a very cynical and nihilistic kind of ending. I think the Wicker Man is suggesting that this society, you know, kind of works some of the time. And uh, it spends an awful lot of time focusing on the, the cult having having a good time and having, you know, fellowship and having autonomy and control over themselves and, and not tempering that with, like, all the dead bodies in the background the way Midsummer did. Yes.
0: I definitely like those movies. I was just bringing up Midsummer because it's, like, as I, I was, like, literally sitting in the theater watching that and I was just like, boy, this feels a lot like the 1970s Wicker Man, but I don't remember that movie all that well. So I'm assuming over all the... Mild themes are different, but at the same time, very similar.
1: I definitely recommend watching
0: the 1970s Wicker Man again.
1: 1973 Wicker Man. You get to see uh, Saruman. Yeah, Christopher Lee plays the leader of the cult, and he's highly entertaining and very charismatic in a very strange way. I really enjoyed it.
0: Nice, I'm into that. What are some other pieces of media you think people interpret differently now? I know that you
1: know for a fact there are there are language changes that have happened over the last
0: many centuries which make
1: people interpret and understand some shakespeare stuff differently right like there's there's jokes that we don't get anymore because we don't have the cultural context to understand them so there are shakespeare plays which are filled with jokes that modern audiences don't even hear
0: you know that was definitely something i experienced when i read a lot of his plays for the first time in high school i think we had like copies of it that would be like one page of it in like the old English and like the other page on like the other side of the spread. It would be like explaining like, this is why this is funny. This is the politics. This is actually a really filthy joke or whatever. And I was just like, oh, okay, that makes sense
2: to me. I feel like this is one of the problems with Shakespeare specifically, but also just works in early modern English is that we keep getting further and further away from the context in which this this writing is going to make any sense to us. And because it's ostensibly already in English, we're not willing to translate it. Like uh, a work in French, you can translate like a translation made a hundred years ago would be different from one made today because the context is different, but we're not allowed to do that with English works.
1: Yeah. It would feel like a rewrite to people. It, It would feel like an insult.
2: Yeah. Which is a bummer.
1: Yeah, I think the best you can hope for is like heavily annotated stuff, which I've I, I read before. Um, in college, I had a couple textbooks that would do that kind of thing where there would be the text on like one page and then on the facing page, there would be like really, really intense notes about what you had just read.
2: Yeah. I read a thread on Tumblr recently, which and the reason I didn't link it anywhere is that Tumblr's threading is terrible, but... Um, The content of the thread was really good and it was talking about someone brought up the question of like, why did people talk that way in old movies, like movies from the 40s? And the answer is that that's just how people actually talked. And they gave this example, for like apparently they had had done work in a um, recording studio that involved listening to a bunch of recordings of conversations made in the 40s and people just actually talked like they did in those old movies.
1: You mean like in the movies where they're like, uh, oh, you see? Well, I've I've got this farm and it's got six doggies on it, you know, like that kind
2: of thing. <laughs> yeah. Let me see if I can I'm just gonna edit out this part where I spend a bunch of time looking for that old Tumblr post. Alright, so this is the this is the exchange. Well hi there, Janine. How are you today? Oh, not too bad, Joe, though my husband's away on business for a few weeks and I miss him something terrible. Well it's a hard thing, Janine, but you'll get through it. Well I suppose I've got to, haven't I, Joe? And then this was described in that as that piercing, strident, rapid fire style we associate with films of the era. Wow. And of course, this thread was full of examples that I desperately wanted like video links for or or at least audio um, and none of them were there. So, like, I guess I have to take their word for it that that's actually how they sounded. But that, that was super interesting to me that like that that's the people talk in movies and what now today sounds super affected, super unnatural.
1: Yeah. And they used each other's first name all the time. That's the the weirdest thing to me. Nobody uses each other's first name at all anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that was in the context of like talking about how um, they kind of invented a naturalistic acting like as opposed to stage acting in the 50s. And they gave another example of in uh, Marlon Brando in A Streetcar Named Desire was using the, uh, it says here, Stanislavie acting methods, the new hyper-realistic style. And most of his co-stars were still using the old highly stylized way of acting. And I got the impression from this text, even though it doesn't say so, that that was a deliberate choice. That was like a deliberate um, making a point about the character, but that I haven't seen the movie, so I couldn't tell you.
0: I also have not seen Streetcar Named Desire. I know it's a classic, but you know...
2: I'm going to put a link to this Tumblr post in the show notes even though like it's got this thing where like it's it's deeply nested quoting and so like the very first post is like one word per line all the way at the right side of the screen.
0: My favorite. And then,
2: yeah. <laughs> it keeps going on like that for a while and then like after you get to like halfway down it starts being readable.
0: Yeah. I used to be a very heavy Tumblr user so I used to be sort of nested threads uh, I miss
2: it. You guys ready for another topic? Yeah. Hit me. So my topic here is multi-Mario races. Um, so there was a um, – I, I had just watched and, – and by watched, I mean like skimmed through a Mario series 1862 star race, which means uh, they played through Super Mario 64 and got all 120 stars. They played Mario Sunshine and got all 120 shines. They played Mario Galaxy and got all 120 stars. They played Mario Galaxy 2 and got all 242 stars. They played Super Mario 3D Land and they got all 380 stars. And then they played Super Mario Odyssey and they got all 880 unique moons. And the whole thing was like 38 hours long and someone like stayed awake to do this and was able to perform at like a reasonably high level of, of skill. Which is like, at that point, it's seemingly just as much an athletic event as it is being good at a video game.
0: And a little dangerous too.
2: Yeah, probably not great for your health.
0: That sounds exhausting. And probably like awful for your eyes and hands and posture. Right. (laughs) Ow. I'm just thinking about it now. I'm like sore from sitting in a not office chair all day to work.
2: Have you considered getting an office chair?
0: Yeah, just in the middle of moving, so everything's a mess right now.
2: Uh, right, yeah. I forgot about that part.
0: Mm-hmm, it's fine. It'll be f- over soon. Yeah, no, this is some bonkers marathon stuff. I have, like, some respect for this at the same time. I'm always kind of like, to what end? Is it really worth, like, hurting yourself? Like, sometimes it's like, you know, we're going to stream this game towards it's over marathons, people, like, switch off and stuff. Like, it seems fun, but I'm also like man, I don't know, we're like in our 30s now, and that stuff hits you a lot (laughs) harder.
2: I bet no one over 25 is running races like this. I
0: have some friends who still do like 24-hour marathon things, like I don't know if you're familiar with um, Square Bowl, where I have some friends who, Laura knows them too, but regularly on Super Bowl weekend, they'll marathon a Square game, the Square Enix game. I think they skipped this year due to various reasons. But previously, it's like they will like just like, plow through an entire square game, and people, you know, like will stream it. People check in. They raise money for charity at the same time. Probably child's play, but I cannot really recall to be honest. But I'm always just like, geez, I'm already like not good at sleeping. It's one of my uh-huh. failings as an adult human. Just not very good at sleeping. And like wrecking myself that way, I'm just like, oh no, I am far too fragile of a baby to do that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's intense. If if we're talking about like multiple people here, it's a little bit different because like one person can doze off while the other one plays.
1: Yeah, you can set it up to mitigate the shittiness, but it's still like, I'm going to commit to a marathon event. I don't think it would be video gaming.
2: Tell us about your marathon event that you would do.
1: I mean, I I used to do a lot of game jams. I would still do a game jam.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we used to do game jams together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were great. I I enjoyed that stuff a lot. I like doing game jams where you actually
2: sleep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've never done a game jam where I didn't sleep. I think it is stupid to not sleep in a game jam. And I think part of the challenge is designing a... Project on the fly, which will allow you to sleep, right? Right. The, that that scoping and scoping down and to, and eliminating features and stuff is like the thing that you learn from game jams. I think.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a the the primary skill that you get.
1: Yeah. So I enjoy that kind of marathon event. But I wouldn't do video games. I think my hands would hurt a lot. Hmm. Um, and, and depending on the kind of game you play, maybe there's not a lot of downtime. You know. Yeah. Uh, I would watch, I, I would marathon watch movies. I don't think I would enjoy it very much, but at least you can take a nap if you want. Right. You can watch a movie while doing squats or something, you know. But with video games, uh, it's a it's a whole brain attention kind of thing and your hands are constantly moving. And uh, even when I was younger, I think that would have that knocked me
2: out. So, Rachel, you had asked the question of like, why would you do this to yourself? And I have, I've kind of been thinking about that myself. And I think there's a little bit of romanticism happening of like, did you ever stay up all night playing video games when you were a kid? No. So, I did um, when I was young and even not so young, even like into my twenties probably, or stayed up all night programming or whatever, and I think a lot of people have that experience and just can't really have it anymore because you know you've got an adult with responsibilities and a yeah an adult an adult's metabolism, and they kind of romanticize the idea of of doing this sort of thing and so like Rachel, you were you a part of uh, IGG?
0: I think IGG started happening after I'd already graduated. So I was like loosely involved, but not really.
2: Yeah. I feel like that sort of marathon. So IGG was a um game marathon for charity in the vein of Mario Marathon. It stood for Indie Games for Good and it, the idea was that a bunch of, you know, college kids would sit on on a, in front of a webcam and play indie games for as long as people paid them to. And by paid them to, I mean like they would donate money to various charities. And I really feel like a lot of the the fun of watching that and game marathons like Mario Marathon comes from like, uh, oh, these people found an excuse to stay up all night playing video games. That's amazing. And the excuse is that like, oh, we're doing it for a serious purpose. It actually like, we're not just doing it. You couldn't justify doing this to yourself for just for fun, but you can justify it because it's for charity.
1: Yeah. It's definitely, it's, it's definitely clearly fun to be part of these events. Yeah. And people definitely wish that they they could be the one doing that. I'm You, you see that kind of thing all the time with uh, Games Done Quick.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, that still leaves the question of like, why would you do a speed run? And I I don't have a good answer for you. Like, there's There's a a phenomenon where, as you get more and more invested in a community or an activity, the more you do it, the more you care about it, and the more you convince yourself that it's important and maybe more important than other things that are more important to other people or that you would never have thought was important five years ago. Or maybe, like one day, you'll realize that what you you, what you've been doing is ridiculous and change your mind and realize you've been wasting your time for ten years. And that's just like. I've come to kind of accept that this is just kind of part of the human condition is this shifting sense of what's important and what's not, even within, like, within cultures and also within individuals.
0: Yeah, I think that's just the nature of how things go. Like, I don't know, I'm definitely interested in some, like, boring adult things now. Like, ooh, houseplants. If you told myself 10 years ago, like, you're going to care about houseplants someday, I'd be like, no, man, I'm going to, like, you know... Four twenty plays it all day every day. And play World of Warcraft. And I'm like you could not pay me to play World of Warcraft right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you could. It'd have to be a lot of money though.
2: <laughs> I feel like I could. I would play World of Warcraft as a job. Like I would play eight hours a day for like a livable wage.
0: Yeah, it's probably worst things to do. I just remember it was very, very consuming.
2: Yeah, th- there is. There's always the risk that like you'd accidentally join a guild and then be sucked into raiding for more than full-time?
1: So, uh, when I was in college, I went to study in Ireland. And uh, when I was in Ireland, I did not have that many friends in Ireland because I was just there temporarily and I was learning about the city and stuff. And so, I started playing World of Warcraft and I would play every night like super, super late because all my classes were in the evenings. I was playing on an American server too. So, I was playing like on American time, right? And uh we had a guild leader who was like 18 or something and he was very badly behaved. Uh, and he used to tell us all these stories about things he was doing like in his personal life. Like he was like, oh, I can't play because I broke my hand punching through a wall. And we were always like, oh my God, what the hell.
0: Wow! And
1: everybody else except this kid in the, in the guild was like a pretty chill like adult. Uh, and part of the reason they were in the guild was because it was like not a raiding guild, right? It was like a, just like a hangout channel and they all had like other things to do with their lives except this guy was like ultra sexist and used to talk all the time about how like he hated women and shit. And so he had no idea that I was a woman. Uh, and at one point he told us all, I have to go to juvie. Like I, I can't be around for a while. So I'm going to appoint a temporary guild leader. And he made me the temporary guild leader. And then around the end of the time where I was in Ireland, he came back. And the last thing that I did uh, was, well, I, I decided I was going to go cold Turkey off of world of Warcraft. Cause I needed to go back and like, go to college. And uh, college in Ireland is honestly like a lot chiller and less demanding than college in the US. Like I had very little work. My, I had fewer classes. I had fewer sessions of each class. And I knew that if I kept playing World of Warcraft like this, I wasn't going to be able to handle college in the US. So I t- decided I was going to quit. And when he came back uh, after his stint in, in Juvie or whatever, uh, after I transferred guild ownership back to him, I wrote in the guild chat, oh and i was a girl the whole time <laughs> goodbye <laughs> <laughs> years later i had to play world of warcraft again for work back when i was working for uh an international games publisher i had to play the pandaria expansion and write like a report about it right uh and so i reactivate my account and i'm playing pandaria and there's only one person from my old guild still online and we start messaging each other and this guy is like oh my god like i don't even remember you who were you and i'm like i don't know uh, and then I, st- I then I, I bring up, hey, you remember how we had this incredibly badly behaved guild leader who was like a teenage criminal who kept like breaking his hands and shit? And the guy goes super quiet, and I realized that I was talking to the teenager, <laughs> and he had like grown up, and he was still playing World of Warcraft. So it was a it was a weird interaction.
2: Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Did you find out what he went to juvie for?
1: Like getting in fights and conflict with his parents and stuff. and I'm pretty sure. I think he told us that his somebody in his family called the cops on him a couple times.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: Did not seem like a, a great place to grow up. So, I imagine that's why he played so much World of Warcraft. Oof. It's my, my big World of Warcraft story.
2: That's very good. It's a very good World of Warcraft story.
1: Sometimes I'm tempted to like play something like World of Warcraft again, but I just don't have time. I got really sucked into Guild Wars for a while. Guild Wars 2. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed Guild Wars 2 more than I enjoyed it World of Warcraft, honestly. But I just don't have time for that kind of thing anymore. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. I also I also trained my brain to never play a game for a billion years because I did all that games writing, like writing about games online and then I did writing for video games and I worked for a games publisher where I had to play all these different games all the time and I still feel like I need to play all these games all the time to stay like a of the market, you know? And after a decade of that, I'm no longer able to really invest in a game and just, like, contently play it for a long time. I'm always thinking, oh, what what $5 game can I buy on Steam so that I can continue to be
0: with it?
2: You can write your blurb for the ZergNet or whatever it was.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I've never really been one that's too with it with games. I've always been, like, very, very rarely buy new games. And I just usually, like watch the discourse from Twitter or whatever. I usually will buy like one or two new games a year. This year it's probably be Animal Crossing. It's been nice being part of that zeitgeist. I am not over participating in Final Fantasy VII. That is a journey I cannot go on with other people. <laughs> so I'm like, hap- I'm happy for everybody that's happy about Final Fantasy VII, but personally I I, I don't care. <laughs> Good for them though. I'm, I'm glad they're happy. I'm just going to like hang out on my island longer and plant flowers and try to make some like cool gardens and Build furniture or whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to play Animal Crossing for as long as I can.
0: Mm-hmm. I gotta,
1: I gotta train my brain to stop c- craving a d- different video game all the time.
2: I honestly feel like I could, I could play Animal Crossing like an MMO. Probably, it feels like it's, it's that kind of long term experience, like intended to be. Well, except that in World of Warcraft, like you were supposed to play for multiple hours a day forever. Whereas this game, it really feels like. I feel like uh, people are playing it because of uh, Mm self-isolation.
1: Well, it's a great way to socialize with other people, honestly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like people are are pushing it beyond the the limits it was intended for. Like this Animal Crossing series was always kind of meant to be played like for 15 minutes a day. Like you get your – you check in on your village, you talk to everybody, you get your fossils or whatever and then you get on with your day. But this one, at least it seems to support – And people like are certainly playing for longer than 15 minutes. Like it seems to support playing for a bunch of time every day.
1: You you definitely could play it for like 30 minutes a day or less if you wanted to. I think it's a wise design design decision to make it so that you can play Animal Crossing for as long as you want, you know? Yeah. Because if I have like only an hour to play a game every day and the only game I want to play will only be rewarding for 15 minutes of that hour, I'm not going to play it at all. Hmm. I, I don't think it's
0: it's actually good for people with short gaming schedules for it to be that short.
2: That's interesting, yeah.
0: I honestly don't know what game I would say is good for a schedule that short, but
2: I feel like... Like the New York Times crossword.
0: Well, like probably Hearthstone
1: or Magic Gathering Online or Le- Legends of Runeterra or something like card games that have those really short
0: uh, sessions. Yeah, those all make sense. Yeah, I feel like Animal Crossing probably you need probably around an hour, I'd say 45 minutes to an hour to be productive every single day. If that's like part of your goals, making your island pretty, you know, you got to yeah. collect your fruits and sell them and check out your stores, see if they have cute stuff and plant some flowers and water them and catch a few fish and find your fossils.
1: But luckily, you don't actually have to do all of that if you don't have time for it.
0: Yeah, you don't have to. It's just like, it's something you can do if you want to. I've been trying to plant flowers and make pretty flowers and not really succeeding, but that's okay. Yeah. I keep forgetting to water my flowers because I'm trying to make money on other stuff. I'm not trying to actually pay off my loan at all in my house because there's no furniture and I have no desire to have an empty room in my house. Like, I don't, I don't see the point. I'm just happy with it not being bought off. I'm just like, whatever, it's fine. Maybe if somebody if I can build some furniture, I can actually like put things in rooms in my house then I'll care but for now I'm just like I'm just by buying clothes and planting flowers and just exploring and stuff until like you get like one recipe in a bottle every single day it, like washes up on the shore of your island and for the last six days it's been recipes I've already had so I'm just kind of like if you're not giving me new content I'm not really incentivized well, to keep get, playing
1: you don't get just one a day sometimes you can get multiple um And you can get more from Nook Miles, and you can also get recipes by talking to your villagers while they're crafting inside their home. So, I get a good four or five recipes per day.
0: Well, I guess I'm doing it wrong. I haven't been getting them from Balloons, either. I just want to be able to make my kitchen look nice and build some (laughs) chairs, and maybe some desks or something. Oh, yeah. Got some themes going on. I want to stick with them. It's a pretty, like, low-stakes, emotionally game, and I'm just... it's nice. Just chilling, going over to friends' islands and being like, hey, I brought you a turtle and a big pile of oranges because we're friends. Oh, and also a really ugly hat. It's so ugly. I had to give it to you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of my favorite moments was we have a, this with this goth dog named Cherry. Oh, yeah. And she normally goes around wearing the spider web t-shirt. Um, and I just gave her all the bunny day outfits and she wore every one of them.
0: That's so awesome. beautiful. i have a ram on my island who loves working out but he's also like rainbow colored
1: oh i've seen that ram yes
0: he's very good so he's not goth at all but he's always like he calls me dude and he's just like hope working on your squats man and i'm like oh he's so positive this guy's (laughs) great
2: (laughs) yeah that's all the time we have today at uh, topic lords uh laura if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet
1: yeah, you can find me at lauramichet.com, L-A-U-R-A-M-I-C-H-E-T dot com, and also on Twitter at L-M-I-C-H-E-T-L-M-I-C-H-E-T, uh, or you can see my bad tweets. Um, and you should play
0: Industries of Titan.
2: Yeah. Uh, Rachel, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet?
0: You can also find me at Twitter on Twitter at Rachel underscore Sala. It's like salad minus the D. And otherwise, I would say check out Clutch City.
2: Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for
0: Thank having you us. for inviting us
1: to talk about topics.
0: I love talking about topics. There's nowhere else on the internet that I can
1: talk about topics.
2: No, it's this is the only place. It's, and, and it only happens once a week. Like, you can only cram so many people into each episode and it's only an hour a week.
0: You're providing a good service. Thank you, Jim.
2: You're very welcome. And I I accept your thanks. And And I assume the thanks of the world that I am receiving via you. You know
1: what they say, assuming makes a thankful person of you in the world.
2: Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed Lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!